Hello and welcome to the I Am Still Learning podcast brought to you by CRED. My name is Ronan McDonnell. I'm the founder and CEO of CRED. At CRED, we're asking the following questions. What if you could create three new habits? The habit of learning, the habit of mental health and well-being, and the habit of giving. What then if you could look back at the end of your life and see the legacy and the impact you have created? Our purpose is to enable today's actions to impact tomorrow's world. To learn more, please visit our website, cred.global. Instead of thinking about what did I want to be, I started to think about what did I want to do. And experiences became my focus that I decided to follow my heart and not my head. And, and I listened to the things that I wanted to do as opposed to listening to things that I should do. It's about quantifying and qualifying those seemingly small and insignificant actions that actually do make an impact. Now, I can't end the Amazon forests by myself today, but I can maybe think about the amount of water that I consume or energy or you know, just those little things without a moral bashing or a guilt trip but just trying to put those small actions and realize that our actions matter in the world somewhere, somehow. Today's guest is Darcy Lunn. Darcy spends his time, energy, and passion working towards a world without extreme poverty. He qualified as a teacher in Australia, but for the last 18 years, he has been a humanitarian, educator, and traveled to over 90 countries. As an educator, he has given over 850 global awareness presentations to more than 80,000 people. He has worked on the ground in development with UNICEF in South Sudan, Uganda, Pakistan, and Kyrgyzstan. Darcy will definitely be an influencer in Cred's tribe. He's blazing a trail in social impact. On today's podcast, Darcy talks about creating your own unbeaten path in life in the face of societal expectations to stay on the beaten path. Taking a leap of faith, even when you don't know the outcomes. How being vulnerable and putting yourself out into the world is contagious. And he also talks about teaspoons of change, a concept of small actions multiplied by lots of people creates large change. I'm sure you'll find today's conversation as inspiring as it is fascinating. Darcy, welcome to the Cred I Am Still Learning podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Super, thanks for having me. And uh, Darcy's, for some of my previous guests, I invited him to uh, bring us to a, a place in the world that was pretty special and meaningful for them. Is there anywhere where you'd like us to have this conversation today? Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate to go to the more than 90 countries in my, my little life journey. Um, and there's a handful of places that are very special, but there is one. And it's a small town called Pai Kakariki in New Zealand. And I promise it is a real place. <laughs> it's uh, it's a little town nestled between mountains and the ocean, just north of Wellington, uh, in the in the North Island of New Zealand, Aotearoa. And and can you tell us why is that such a special place? I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Pai Yakiiki, <laughs> Pai Kakariki, Pai Kakariki. Uh, yep. so, so, so that's the it means the the land of the Kakariki bird. But the the reason it was so special for me is that uh, I have spent a long time being in many different countries and lived more than two years on every continent except for Antarctica. And so for a place to really speak to me takes a lot. And, and it was just the, the pace and the feeling of the place that, that captured me and the mountains and access to being able to go trail running and mountain biking and, and that, that kind of home 
community small town feel which I grew up with and and also having access to this brilliant city which is Wellington a, a hive of political engagement and social justice and all those sorts of things so it just had all these little elements that seemed to come together for me in that in that little place where I, I then built a self-sufficient tiny house with the, with the community there and you just mentioned about a place speaking to you what what is it about a place that speaks to you Hard to say, I suppose. I, I um I get a feeling for places very quickly and easily because because I am fortunate to go through so many different communities. But in that place, it just feels like that a few elements have come together for me that feel right, and and that's people, and it's place, and it's the ocean, and it's the mountains, and knowing that I can go running at any time, knowing that I can walk down and have a chat to someone on the street. So I suppose for me, it's always been the idea of access. An opportunity that that's what living a, a rich life means to me and and all of those things came to me very quickly the first time i visited uh Pycock. awesome and um, so we're we sitting out on are we on a mountain or are we we're we looking out at the mountains where this described the scene to me well there's uh about two kilometers up there's a, a lovely little trail run that goes just up a gentle hill and uh, up through a waterfall when it is raining, but up on top of that is just the most beautiful sunset spot and very peaceful and calm and, and just a great place to be using your lungs to get up there. So you've, you've got the endorphins kicking in and you get up the top and it's just this serene beauty of, of the Carpety Island off in the distance, the coast down below and, and this little community where you know that there are people living and breathing and connecting in, in quite a special way. So that's where we're sitting. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Darcy, I read on, on your bio, you, you say, my life and dream is to see a world without extreme poverty for everyone, everywhere and forever. That's a pretty powerful life's purpose. What has shaped that into your experience or your life's journey? Well, I've been fortunate to work in many communities, impoverished communities, particularly in Africa and Central Asia as a sort of young 20-ish year old. And I learned a lot from those communities. And so it was then that I realized that I had won the lottery of life of being a white Australian male growing up in a middle-class community. And, and so when I traveled to Kyrgyzstan was the first sort of low-income country or developing country that I went to. And I just learned so much. I always say that my education started the day I finished university because the university teachers that I was working with were earning $40 a month as university teachers. But they, they taught me a lot about resilience, resourcefulness, connected, being connected as a community, shared living and these sorts of ideologies, which really stuck with me. And then to realize that the only reason that I had access and opportunity to travel and to do what I want was because of where I happened to have been born. And, and I just feel that it shouldn't matter where you're born if you have access to clean water, or it shouldn't matter if you're born a boy or a girl, if you have access to certain things and not certain things. So having had that experience, I could either feel terrible about the world and go, there's too many problems that I can't solve, or to be resolute and decide that that's the kind of world that I, I want to be a part of and, and moving towards a momentum that can try and achieve the end of extreme poverty. And you said there a moment ago that your education started for you the day you finished university. You were probably faced with a choice. Uh, do you go a traditional route or do you go left when everyone else is going right? 
Can you tell us more about what what experiences uh, shaped that decision? Yeah, and I, I love that. I, I love that analogy. Lema Bowie, the Nobel Peace Laureate, she also talks about the beaten path and the unbeaten path. And you can take the beaten path, which is nicely paved and smooth, or you can you know, get your machete out and make your way through the jungle to create an, a new path. And, and that's what I chose as well. You know, I, I grew up in a very conventional society around me where it was university, job, house, family, dog, children, et cetera, et cetera. And I decided not to take that path. And I think that came from spending a year between high school and university. I went and worked in Japan and worked in a bakery of all things through through my brother married a, a Japanese woman. So I stayed with her family, but, but that gave me, it took the blinkers off of away from me so that I could look at the world in a much more open way because I thought, well, if I can go and learn to speak Japanese and, and make bread, which was never on my, you know, my career path, then I can do anything. And so that really set me up for, well, instead of thinking about what did I want to be, I started thinking about what did I want to do? And experiences became my focus rather than the, you know, the, the persona of being a teacher, which is what I absolutely wanted to be. But, and I still am, but I'm just not a conventional Monday to Friday teacher in the same school. Uh, so, yeah, so I think for me that experience when I was 18 was pretty pivotal in, in really opening up the world in front of me and deciding what did I want to do. So, Darcy, you shared there, and I loved, uh, you talked about the beaten path versus the unbeaten path and taking out your machete to, to create an unbeaten path. Has there been times where you've just thought, oh, I've got this completely wrong, I want to go back to the beaten path? Uh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And and for me, it hasn't been so much that the hard work of getting the machete out and creating a path. It's the societal expectations to be on the beaten path that that is the challenge. And and I really felt that in my late 20s. Um, I was allowed to kind of travel and be free and not know what I was doing. My family kind of accepted that for a while. But by my late 20s, the pressure was on, you know, when are you going to settle down? And that was just a constant question. And, and so I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I probably should get a job and house and settle down and family. Um, and I did that. I, I went and was a teacher in a country school in South Australia for a year, which was fabulous. But I also felt that I was kind of kidding myself. It wasn't, you know, I, I have never hated Mondays. And I was, sometimes I was just waking up on that Monday morning, not so excited about the week ahead. And, and so I knew something had to change, but, but that was definitely the, the, the most challenging part of going on the unbeaten path is the expectation that some stage you should be on a beaten path. And it's very easy for me to say that as a male, um, coming from a pretty, you know, accepting family, because there are some cultures and societal family expectations that are far greater than anything that I'll ever face. But even for someone like me, it is pretty tough if you do decide to uh, get the machete out. So what changed then? You said the societal expectation, the pressure. Um, what changed? Uh, I think getting older was one thing. Yeah. You, you, you tend to just realize that you are your own maker and who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but actually, there was a pivotal moment as well. I, I went to Alice Springs to go and do some teaching up in some Aboriginal communities, as I had done when I was a bit younger. And it was in Alice Springs where I met a lot of women in their mid to late 30s who, who have, you know, greater expectations to have children. And, I, you know, I've never had to have that expectation. So when I met these women in their mid to late 30s who didn't know if they were going to have children now or in the future, but they didn't care. And for me, that was so empowering. 
um, because the expectation was there, but they decided that, well, yes, I could have children and that's, that pathway is fantastic, that's fine. Or I may choose not to have children or it might not happen and that pathway is fine as well. And that really helped me give acceptance to the own choices that I've made and, and ignore my family and friends a bit easier. <laughs> and what, Darcy, what would you say to someone who's maybe 21, 22, listen to this podcast, male or female, and maybe is about to finish university, looking to maybe beat their own path, but trying to dampen down the noise of societal expectations? What advice would you give them? Yeah, and I do. I'm, I'm very fortunate to give lots of presentations to, to young people and have this conversation. Like, I don't have the answer for them. They, they will have the answer themselves. But what I, what I have learned in reflection on my own life is that I decided to follow my heart and not my head. And, and I listened to the things that I wanted to do as opposed to listening to things that I should do. Hmm. And so that, it, it's not easy to tap into your heart. And I, I basically did it accidentally. But I think that the Monday morning test is a good one. Um, I, there's nothing wrong with Mondays. Monday isn't being particularly nasty compared to Friday. <laughs> it's the lifestyle that we choose. And so I've kind of set it as a goal to, to not hate Mondays. And, and sometimes I have been pulled into conforming, um, but then realized that I'm not on my life journey. And so it's easy to say these things because the second step is realizing that we have to take a risk. We have to do something that's different to the people around us. Most, you know, often some families are, are, are wonderful risk takers or whatever. And so that first leap really is um, a leap of faith. And, and I suppose I've learned in my experience is the more you throw yourself at the world, the more it tends to catch you. And not always in a positive, wonderful way, but you're doing something that means a lot to you as opposed to what means something to someone else. And I feel you, it's pretty hard to go wrong when you do that, but it is very hard to do it as well. Can you tell us more about the world catching you? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I now live for this. I love putting myself in situations where I don't know the outcome because then you, then you tap into this world of unexpected outcomes. You know, we know what we don't know, and we, but we don't know what we don't know. And so putting yourself in a position of just lobbying in a country and just seeing what programs they may have on the ground and what work you might find, you know, I've heard a lot about this place. I want to go and have a look at it and I'll just make it up from there. And sometimes I've done that with very little money in my pocket, but found a way to engage with people and be self-sufficient. Um, or you could be completely focused on a program that you really want to do. And it may just fit you off into a completely different country that you've never thought of or heard of. So, so I, I, I like a bit of uncertainty in my world. I also crave some sort of certainty as well. So I don't do it all the time. But I think putting yourself out into the world and being vulnerable is, is contagious. Uh, people, you know, I've received hospitality, generosity and kindness from every kind of person in every kind of place, regardless of race, religion, class, culture, etc., because I'm there um, showing my own vulnerability. So I think it, it's a hard thing to do and it, it's uncomfortable at first. And I do, you know, I, I do like a fair bit of certainty in my life, but, uh, but I do like a little edge of uncertainty as well to open up doors that otherwise would never be there. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that Darcy. And, are there moments as well where you start to, even though you're comfortable, you stop caring, 
Um, but when you traditionally view a worldview of success versus what you perceive to be success, are there times where you go, oh, have I got this completely wrong? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Because we, I still measure myself against family, friends, where I came from, et cetera. So their, their level, their measure of success is very different to, to mine. And my own measure of success can be, you know, bounced and waved and changed at any moment. And, and so again, it's sort of about trying to consolidate some of those ideas into your own heart and realize, you know, is this a part of who I am? Not just what I do, but is this a part of who I am and who I want to be in the world? And it's really hard to do that. So I think um, measuring your own success is never an well for me isn't an easy thing to do at all because I do question it often. You know, I've worked in some pretty high level UN forums around polio eradication, and then other times I've spent you know in Pukekareki building a self sufficient tiny house and wondering, you know, should I be back and meeting with the heads of states and these sorts of things or am I happy building a self-sufficient tiny house? <laughs> so it's always, uh, it's always hard to define success. And, and I don't know, for me in the end, I suppose experiences are the things that matter more than anything for me. And, and I want to be rich in experiences. Rich in experiences. I think that's a lovely way of looking at it. Uh, you shared as well that you, you know yourself. Uh, in my experience, I, I do some work with people who are trying to go on a journey of self-awareness and they, they say, I'm going to block out two hours on a Wednesday afternoon to diarize and work out my sense of purpose, value, strength, etc. Like, can you share a bit more about your journey to knowing yourself and understanding what you stand for, the impact you want to create and your sense of personal purpose? Yeah, and, and it's always a continuous journey. I, I wouldn't say I know myself very well at all, you know, and it's it's a nice thing to be on that journey. But I think when I tap into knowing my sense of purpose was from a few pivotal moments, but it's never that, for me, it's never been that epiphany. You know, I didn't have the car accident and then had to reevaluate my life. I didn't have the, the, the life-changing relationship that fell apart or, or, you know, any of those big significant events. It's been a building process from understanding what I really enjoy doing. What, you know, when I was traveling, I had to pinch my skin every morning to realize I can't believe I'm so lucky to be out doing what I want to do, you know, regardless of anyone else and what they think I should be doing. And so I suppose I've just kind of snaked my pathway following that and trying to listen to the things that do give me a sense of purpose. And, and then one thing leads to another. I was writing, I just had spent a year in Ethiopia working with VSO and Australian Volunteers International. And I came back and did a bicycle ride around New Zealand. I was giving presentations you know, pretty crappy PowerPoint presentations about volunteering and why it's good and why I love it. And then I met an organization that were just starting up and they were called the Global Poverty Project. And I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. Got in contact with them and I was like, oh, wow, you're doing what, what I'm doing. You're, you know, but you're not just one idiot on a bicycle riding around New Zealand. And I thought, cool, there's actually an organization who does this. And then I, you know, finding my sense of purpose then fitted with a group of other people who had that sense of purpose. So from there, you know, A, B, C, D, off it goes. And mm. it, tend to, it tends to become quite contagious and easy to keep on following your, your heart, I suppose, in that way. Is that another example of the world just catching you? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, that's, uh, yeah, there was a poster up on the wall and yeah. well, probably project. who's that idiot? And, yeah. and looking at myself riding a bike and having a sore ass every day. But uh, <laughs> then, then realizing, oh, cool, actually had a chat, 
and they, they're sort of like, who's the weird guy on a bike? Um, and then we got to know each other and, and there was a real Shazam moment of uh, bringing those two energies or ideas together, I suppose. And I, I know you've done quite a lot. Um, I, we, could, we could speak forever on this. So I just want to make sure that I really can extract a lot of the goals from our conversation, Darcy. Uh, I'd love to just talk about teaspoons of change. Um, I recently, uh, we were introduced in the last couple of weeks and I, I've, I've uh, learned a bit more about it, but I'd love to hear it. And could you share from your perspective, I guess, where you came up with the concept? And it is a concept, isn't it? It's Yeah, that's right. Uh, could you share like yeah, where you came up with and how would you like to see it create a, a, a lasting impact? Yeah, it's a perfect follow-on. So from, from Global Poverty Project, they then became Global Citizen. They do big, big um, concerts every year in Central Park in New York around the United Nations General Assembly. And I was following along and, and doing a lot there, but there was something missing for me. It, um, New York wasn't quite my scene, but I knew that there was something building inside of me, a concept or an idea. And I'd just come from polio eradication where, you know, you put two drops in a, in a kid's mouth a billion times around the world and, and we've almost eradicated, you know, the second human disease in history. And so I had this little concept building in my mind around small actions. And if you multiply that by lots of people, you can create big change. And so I, I went for a walk in Japan um, a thousand kilometers from where I used to live in northern Japan to central Japan, got shin splints, which really hurt. So jumped on a bike and rode another 1500 Ks. And when you do that, you have a long time to think. And that's where the, the, the idea and concept of teaspoons of change came from. You know, personal choices, decisions, and actions that have a positive impact on people on the planet. What kind of impact are you seeing it have? Like who's embracing it? Uh, where have you had some success with it? Well, and, and this is the thing is it's not a program to say, right, you have to do this, 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 and this. It really is a concept. So people grab the concept and they use it for lots of different uh, situations. And for me, it's about quantifying and qualifying those seemingly small and insignificant actions that actually do make an impact. Now, I can't end the Amazon forests by myself today but I can maybe think about the amount of water that I consume or energy or, you know, just those little things without a moral bashing or a guilt trip, but just trying to put those small actions and realize that our actions matter in the world somewhere, somehow. And if we can all start to kind of make these tweaks, we do it together, you know, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And, and, I, and I'm, Teaspoons of Change is designed to be a very friendly entry point uh, rather than people thinking, oh, my God, I have to be this kind of person to be considered sustainable or a global citizen, but to get them on the pathway, the spectrum of becoming a more active and effective global citizen. So, yeah, used in, in many different contexts and, and different ways. And you shared there as well another topic I know you're passionate about. You said, I can't do this by myself. And I think that's probably a challenge for a lot of people. They go, oh, who's little old me to have an impact? So how do we partner together? How do people... And not necessarily just through organizations, but how do individuals partner together to achieve a compounding impact? Yeah, and, that, and that's a beautiful question and, you know, worth having a much longer conversation around with anyone. But it's, it's a really important question as well, because I feel that teaspoons of change is a great place to start, but a terrible place to stop. So it's not about just, oh, yeah, when I do the recycling, I'm a good person. But then how do we keep growing and evolving our actions so that we can mold them together. So collaboration is a key component of that. And, and I always talk about collaboration for mutual benefit. 
so that you know whoever's collaborating gets something out of it but for maximum impact and i uh, just sort of see that snowball effect if we can collaborate and and collaboration is a tricky very difficult thing to do and and we can't always you know not every partnership like we've had some great conversations so how do we put our forces together to mm. create more good in the world and there might not be an easy fit but the fact that i know what you're doing uh, you you might know what I'm doing. We can have that in our conversations. And that's what collaboration means to me. It isn't the formal written agreement, MOU collaboration. It's being a part of this sphere of influence that kind of grows and molds itself to our, our communities around us. You know, it strikes me in our conversation, Darcy, there's an energy in your voice. Where does that come from? Uh, a bit of running. I, I like to have make sure I've got a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got good genes in energy. But no, I mean, I think when we talk about something that we care about and has meaning and purpose, uh, we can't pretend to not be energetic about it. I, well, I can't anyway. Um, it's and I've now so. given over a thousand presentations to a hundred thousand people, pretty much on the same presentation. But I love it every single time because I get to share the thing, my passions and interests with others. And what kind of rituals or habits, you know, you talked about running there, but what kind of rituals or habits do you have that keeps you on the unbeaten path and, and keeps you energized? Uh, I'm not great for, for habits because I'm, I live in so many different places all the time. Uh, I don't really have a, a great set of rituals. I read, I listen to a lot of podcasts where people say, yeah, every morning I get up and drink a water <laughs> and <laughs> meditate. And, <laughs> and I wish I could, and I try and do those things, but very sporadically. Um, no, I think my, my method is always a conviction that I can make a difference and I'm going to try and make a difference and I love trying to make a difference. And I, I suppose that's where that, that infectious attitude and, and idea comes from. Uh, but yeah, no, there, and then there are things like making sure I go walking and riding and, um, you know, being listening to my heart and my breathing and finding rhythms uh, within that to, to clear my head and, and get my focus back on. I, I, as I said, it's, I think it's infectious, Darcy, and, uh, you know, take my hat off to you. And I think it's a con I love the concept of small things by lots of people creates impact on a global scale. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, just quickly to add on to that, a context that I use a lot of framework are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or I call them global goals. Yeah. And for me, that's our collective context uh, of how our small actions can combine together to try and end extreme poverty, reduce inequality and protect our planet. So for me, Teaspoons of Change has to have that big overarching yeah. Uh, con um, collaborative context so at any moment our actions feel like they fit into a big context or if we're getting overwhelmed by the size of climate change or gender equality in the world then we can hone it back into who we are and our little slice of life and our teaspoons of change so so those two kind of lenses are really important for teaspoons of change personal and practical and that big global collective level when interchanging between those two and I look forward to continuing the conversation. I think we've got, we're going to have some good conversations going ahead about what we can do together, Darcy, in that space. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Darcy, you're, you're collecting experiences. You're living in a moment. What type of legacy would you like to leave? Yeah, I'm not a big legacy fan. I think we're all just as important and insignificant as each other. So the kinds of people that I've met in the in, internally displaced people's camp in South Sudan who work tirelessly uh, in their community in far more difficult circumstances than, than I have to face day in, day out, 
for me, they're the true heroes of the world. And so I want my legacy to, to be honoring those people who do the really hard work, who are selfless and are facing tough conditions day in day out. It's, you know, your teachers and it's the nurses and it's all these sorts of people in society. So I feel my legacy is to try and throw a megaphone on those people and, and what they're working towards. So I'm, I'm not, I don't have a personal legacy preference, but, but I want to be a part of a movement that is working towards ending extreme poverty, um, riding climate change and these sorts of things. Whether we make it or not, who knows? But if I don't do anything, then nothing can happen. And if I do something, then something may happen, something may not happen, but I'd rather have a crack and, and give it a shot and, and see how we go. So that's my legacy is just making sure I, I, I get out there and have a go. And, and I'm sure uh, that that does resonate with people. I get to hear that feedback fairly regularly. So it's lovely. And you're not going to die wondering. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, I segue into my, my question around, I'm going to bring it forward to your deathbed now, Darcy, if that's okay. Sure. You're looking at your life's highlights reel. What's on that highlights reel? Well, the, and I do this fairly regularly because I, I love thinking back. I almost have a photographic memory of my childhood. I remember most years and, and events, particularly travel days. So experiences are number one. So on that highlights reel is getting involved with good people and learning and sharing and growing and evolving and, and trying to do something that, that can have a positive impact in the world. So my highlights reel um, should be about a vivaciousness for life. I think a lust for life is, is as important as what we're going to do. And hopefully kicking a few goals here and there around engaging people and, and putting smiles on people's faces that, that I've learned from them, they've learned from me and, you know, shits and giggles. <laughs> awesome. And at your funeral, what song are you going to be playing where people are going to hear the song and go, yep, that describes Darcy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, I'm not sure if there's a song. There's definitely an artist. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if you know Michael Franti and Spearhead. No. He's, nope. he's been around the traps okay. for a while and he's, he's from the US, but uh, he just has these really powerful lyrics that have been, um, they've kind of been a soundtrack to, to my life. You know, he's got lyrics like, can't bomb the world into peace. You can only bomb it into pieces. Um, the best things in life aren't things and all these sorts of, these, there's these little catch grabs yeah, are you a part of the pollution or are you a part of the solution? So these are these are the lyrics that uh, have been my soundtrack for the last 19 years of travel and, and aid and development work and community participation. Oh, brilliant. I'm sure you collect a few more. There's a lot more ahead as well. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Darcy, final question. Is there a question I should have asked you today? No, I mean, well, yes, uh, I was going to say no and then go on about saying, yes, here's a question to ask. For, for me, it, it was making sure that we covered that context, making sure that teaspoons of change isn't this small thing that, that um, businesses can grab hold of and, and put a poster on their wall, but they can live and breathe their values. So, so the conversation around how do we turn values into virtues, into action? Is a, is a really productive one. And I, I love having those conversations with businesses and schools. We all sort of have the, those words that sit on the wall <laughs> and the aspirations, but how do we live and breathe them and, and try and make them uh, come alive? So that's, uh, that's a challenge for all of us. And, and I, I, I just hope everyone has the chance to wake up on Mondays and click their heels as they get out of bed. The Monday test. <laughs> yeah. Darcy, I'm really excited to have a conversation today. 
thank you for sharing. It's been very generous with your time, what you've shared. It's been it's been really inspiring. I'm looking forward to keeping a conversation going between Cred and yourself and looking forward to see how we can partner together to create an impact. Super. Thanks, Ronan. And, and any conversation is always a co-inspiration. So uh, thank you for your wonderful questions. Take care and have a great day. And uh, very best of luck on your trip to China and Korea that's coming up in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm very fortunate to keep engaging with schools and businesses around the world and, and having these kinds of conversations and listen and learn with them. Looking forward to it. Have a good day. Cheers. For me, this interview really resonated on a personal level, along with what we were building in Cred. We talked about going left when everyone else goes right, or as Darcy says, creating your own unbeaten path and the inevitable peaks and troughs that involves. How a combination of small everyday actions can have a huge compounding impact for yourself and the planet. And ultimately, creating your own definition of success in life.